Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Mini Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. I got a big heart, and I'm very forgiving, but, like, don't abuse it. It's been abused enough. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. Fran, the fucking no one elf can, bar. No one can hear it the elf bar. Down. Look, it's just it's just getting me through. I thought you were throwing it away. I am gonna throw it away. She's she and I'm me. Not me. Not a whiny. Yo, 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 yo. What is your childhood trauma? I am a cocksucker. Hello. Your life's going down the toilet. Welcome to Like a Virgin, the show where we give yesterday's pop culture today's takes. I'm Rose Domney. And I'm Fran Torado. Fran, are you um, an allergy girly? (laughs) No, I'm not. I'm not. But I know that you are, um, as a Caucasian, constantly suffering through this. I am suffering. I just want to show you, I have this little, like, decorative bowl here that I usually keep fruit in. And during allergy season, it has instead become home to... (laughs) Pills. <laughs> Ooh, I love this ASMR. Eye drops. Ooh. Uh, nasal spray. Yeah, we need to get some Rima in there. And ibuprofen, and then also makeup. <laughs> um, but I did buy some fruit this morning. We love fruit. Um, that I'm going to try to fill it in again, because it's not as um, aesthetic when it's full of pill bottles, I actually, you could argue that it's more, even more aesthetic when filled with allergy medications. It's more ownable. It's a stylistic choice, Rose. Your no. culture. I don't know about um, that. But I, I am down bad with allergies. It is, I do think it says a lot about me as a person that the more beautiful it becomes outside, the more miserable <laughs> I become and uh-huh. the more my body attacks me. <laughs> Oh. But you know, I am I am fighting um, it, and I'm going to spend the afternoon in Fort Greene Park. Yes. Ooh, what are you so, doing there? Peyton and I are meeting up, and we're just gonna read and eat snacks. Gay. That's so gay. Yes, it is. What are you reading right now? Oh well. So I, as I said a couple months ago, you know, so we have officially moved Rose's book club over to the Patreon. Yes. Patreon.com/slash Like a Virgin. If you're not already um, a patron, um, and the 
the book that I said was going to be our next discussion topic is Fingersmith by Sarah Waters. And I it's been it's been hard for me to get started on that because it's very dense. It's historical fiction. And so it's really been sitting on the back burner for me. Um and so actually this weekend I read something that I think you would like, Fran. And I kind of want to like pitch you on it and convince you to read it. Okay. So we can talk about it on the Patreon. First of all, how long is it? It's very short. Wow. I I was going to run errands on Saturday and I looked at Fingersmith and I was like, okay, I I don't want to carry this heavy ass book with me and I need something like short that I can read very quickly. Um, So I went to my shelf where I keep all the books that I haven't read and it's a, there's a lot of them uh-huh. um, cuz i really love to buy books look same <laughs> um, i just bought i just bought two books literally like in a haze yesterday with like you know points and i was like the audacity <laughs> to buy two more books when these okay, piles well, of books okay we're going to make it three although actually i will lend you this book yeah, I'm so gonna, I'm the book come get a copy the book is the sluts by dennis cooper and it is a dark twisted perverted sickening terrible book that I loved and read in one day. Mm -hmm. It takes place entirely on a website where men review gay male escorts, and it's all set in 2001, 2002. And it starts off with someone reviewing this escort named Brad, and he sort of kicks off all of the, like, fantasies of the men who were on the message board and, and other Men leave reviews of him that you're not sure if they're true or not, and he is involved in this, like, horrific relationship with this man named Brian who wants to kill him, um, and he kind of wants to be killed, and so the book kind is of all wants told- wants to be killed. Relatable. Wants to be killed. So the book is all told through these reviews, through emails and faxes- and it all spirals and it, you know, it takes place when the internet was first, like, a thing, mm. really. And it actually ended up being a, a very nice pairing with a movie that I watched last week, Videodrome, the mm. David Cronenberg movie, which is also sort of about this idea of, like, the intersection between sex and violence in media mm. and, like, the chicken or the egg kind of question about that, mm. which is, like, did media create this violence that in that in consuming it made us more violent or did we create violent media in our own image Mm. because you know in these reviews that these men leave they're like spinning these really horrific violent sexually deviant pedophilic fantasies and you're realizing that the freedom to share them has like made these fantasies even worse than they might have been otherwise Mm. but obviously they were like still already there and in some way and they're like it's very funny it's very disgusting um and there's so much about like who's lying who's telling the truth lots of unreliable narration and like i finished the book thinking I probably didn't ever want to read it again or like read anything else the author had written, but I loved the experience of reading it. Okay. I have three follow-up questions. Okay. So it's an epistolatory novel. Like it's told a hundred percent through these messages. Yes. Okay, cool. So in that it's kind of, you said it's like at the dawn of the internet. So is it kind of like you've got mail coded? 
A little bit, yeah. <laughs> You've got mail coded if Tom Hanks murdered horses. Meg Ryan and then like raped her corpse. Ah! <sighs> All of a sudden, I've forgotten my third question. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god as i said i read this the same week that i watched videodrome for the first time and i watched videodrome because on your recommendation i've been watching dead ringers mm. um, on amazon and i haven't finished it yet but when i do we'll we'll talk about it and dead ringers is based off of a david cronenberg movie yes. called dead ringers mm-hmm. in that movie the twins that rachel vice plays are men mm-hmm. so like the tv show is a subversion of that and before Videodrome, I had only seen one other David Cronenberg movie, Crimes of the Future, which mm-hmm. I saw last year and hated. I think I talked about it here at the time. Videodrome, however, I loved. It's so fucking weird. And a young James Woods is in it. Um, and he's really hot in it. And also Blondie's in it. And she's really hot in it. Blondie. It's like so good, so fucked up, and also very much about like, you know, violence and like snuff films are a big part of it and it's really gross there's like body horror and it's just like sick and twisted and i loved every second of it okay all right um i don't know if i'm a cronenberg girly but i'm definitely gonna try and read that book so reading fundamental do you know what else is fundamental (laughs) suck session as you called it to me yesterday when we were on the phone (laughs) Yes, a joke which I had definitely made before, and when even when the first time I made it, I thought this is very obvious, and I'm sure many other people have made it. And it got like um, twenty thousand likes. <laughs> no, um, last night's succession was another banger episode. Banger, banger. Um, you know, all around this tailgate party that was happening at Tom and Shiv's in the inside the episode thing that they do after the episodes on HBO. Sarah Snook said that the creator kind of said that the vibe of the episode was who's afraid of Virginia Woolf. You know, this couple is having a party at their house and like hate each other. Um, Good reference. And that really was the vibe of it. Like there, I loved how they started the episode like flirty, but also like angry at each other when Tom gave Shiv the scorpion, but then they're still sending each other these texts where Shiv's like, sorry if I broke your dick last night. (laughs) Um, And then by the end of the episode, they finally have this knockdown drag out brawl where they bring up basically all of the shit that they've been holding on through throughout the entire show. And especially everything that happened at the end of last season. Um, I loved it. And I mean, Sarah Snook Emmy campaign is is she's 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 taking it you i i mean she is the a character that has ascended on the power rankings for sure um i yeah the the shiv tom thing now that i have heard this who's afraid of virginia wolf kind of um parallel like that it makes perfect sense to me you can see everything that has gone unsaid for the you know years that they've been kind of in a relationship together um, have you ever been in a relationship like that where, like, there was something going on in the relationship? Like, it was a bit of a situationship, kind of, and it was never spoken about until, like, some explosive moment? Never a romantic relationship, but I definitely have had close friendships mm. where there have been things that we were both avoiding, and they came out in some 
explosive moment. Yeah, because I I have definitely had at least one situation ship like this where there was a somewhat verbal, somewhat nonverbal agreement that like we were just kind of let the relationship be the what it was, right? And then all of a sudden, all the things that you've been feeling come out, you know? And when Tom, when they were out on the patio and Tom was like, Tom was like, can we just have a real conversation? It was like, it was such a like mind fuck because you're like, damn, like what have they, what kind of conversations have they, have they been having up until this point? And when Shiv says, I don't care about you and I've never cared about you, something that I don't know how you feel about that, Rose, but I as a viewer personally think that's true based on everything we've seen in the three seasons. Like I, I think that Shiv might have a shred of care for Tom, but for the most part, he is an accessory or a pawn in everything she does. Like, I think that's totally true. Um, I, I actually disagree. Okay. I think that was the only part in that fight where she was being dishonest. Mm. And I really believe that the reason that Tom was able to betray her so much when he sold the kids out to Logan at the end of season three, um, like proved to Shiv for the first time that Tom was someone who could hurt her. Mm. And I almost think we've been seeing this season, her finally opening up to him in a way she never had before. Mm. Like even in last night's episode, I think a, a season or two ago, she never would have let him in on what was going on with Madsen. Mm-hmm. She would have like kept it all very close to the chest. And in trying out their relationship for a second time, she, to me, at least seemed like she was opening up to him in a way she never had before and was really letting herself trust him and care about him. Cause like realizing that she was fucking over her family and like Tom might be the only person in her corner mm-hmm. after that happened. So yeah, I, I feel like she was lying in that moment and just trying to hurt him. TBD. But like truth, truth is, or rather the thing that we both know is that Tom is about to fuck shit up. Like you could, when he was laying in bed in that final frame, like the machinations going on, like he is 1000% about to make a big move. And I'm very excited about that because he's so delightfully slippery, spineless, ethicless like so good he is yeah i i um i was listening to the succession podcast this morning Ooh, and, you listened and, to the succession podcast yeah wow. it's so good and matthew who plays tom was on it this week and he was saying that one of the ways he plays tom is like tom is basically a different character depending on who mm. he's talking to mm, he is, and yeah. he really like he has kind of no agenda other than survival and, and advancement and success. Mm-hmm. And so that I think is what makes him very dangerous is like, he's willing to do anything. And so now he came on this bitch mad as hell. Like <laughs> he's at his lowest, you know, cause he, this whole party, like everyone was talking about how he's going to get fired. And now he's lost Shiv, who was like his one tether into the family. So who knows what he'll do the last time that he was in a similar position was when he betrayed Shiv and went to Team Logan. So yeah, he really could do anything. But I, I, I have kind of come around to be like a Tom Shiv girl, and like they're kind of end game for me. And I, one thing I really loved is that she never like even when he said, 
I don't think you'd be a good person to be a mother. I love that she didn't say, well, I'm carrying your baby. I think a lot of people expect that kind of revelation to come in that moment. And on a different TV show, that would have been the moment where Shib mm. said, well, I'm pregnant, but this is succession. And she's not going to say that. And I wouldn't be surprised if that admission happened like off screen or like in the very last episode in a sort of inconsequential way, or if she like miscarries or something like mm. that's not what succession is about. So I don't know. I'm just like, there's only three episodes left. Can I confide something in you to you in this unsafe space? Yes. I have never been a Shiv girl. I've never like want, I've never rooted for her as a character. I'm not quite sure why. Um, and I've never necessarily rooted for Tom in the in past seasons, but this season, I'm rooting for Tom. And I'm also rooting for Jerry. I'm definitely rooting for Roman. But I don't know. I'm I'm just like really curious to see who will end up who will end up on top. Or if they will all just get fucked over because of this thing, this India thing, which I think is also a plausibility where they just all end up fat, nasty, and broke. You know who I'm rooting for and who is the best horse to bet on? Willa Roy. Willa, to me, was the MVP of this episode. She said, I'm not fucking going wherever you're sending me off to to be an ambassador's wife. Mm -hmm. Uh -uh -uh. I am Connor's wife now, and I'm telling my man what's what. Sorry, I'm extremely caffeinated. Like, yeah, like that truly, like the fact that they were like calling him, asking him to withdraw. <laughs> like, what was it? Like liaison to the UN, and like this has like international implications, whatever. And that Willa is the person that actually made the call at the end of the day. Something that has international implications, like sex workers be making the calls sometimes. And I think that is dope. Yeah, I don't necessarily root for anyone. These are all bad people. You know, as this episode specifically pointed out, these are all people who, like, are back-channeling, shaping the future of our country and of politics. And, like, none of them really care about whatever it is they stand for. But if I had to root for anyone, it definitely would would be Willa. It would be Willa. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to watch this become the most popular show on TV right now. And to also know that it is a, in some ways a critique of capitalism and power, but like all the kind of like eat the rich media that's been coming out, whether it's like the menu, which to be honest, thinking about it, didn't really love triangle of sadness is great. I think it was a perfect balance. White Lotus, like all these other sh- things following a kind of trend are doing so with a very ham-fisted execution, right? Like, they're really, like, trying to nail down this eat-the-rich idea, and Succession doesn't do that. Like, it's subtle, and it doesn't need to say what it needs to say explicitly in order to get its message across. And it's not necessarily even telling you who's right and wrong, so to speak, because obviously they're all wrong. I just, um, yeah, the complexity is, like, what we need. We don't need a message. We need complication and that's what i love about the show absolutely speaking of survival as you said earlier i finally i had fallen off of not fallen off of yellow jackets but i let quite a few episodes rack up before i finally got caught up are you all caught up i am all caught up i've been in a similar 
Sonar as you, I will say that I think mostly because of it being programmed on Friday nights, mm-hmm. I just haven't been driven to watch it as consistently as I was in season one. Also, there's been, it's had some weeks recently where it hasn't aired. Mm. So I was kind of confused about that. Um, But this past week's episode was amazing. And I do think, I didn't realize it until the very end of this week's episode when all of the women were together that I think that has been the problem for me with, with this season is that in the present day storyline, the women have all been off doing their own things. And last season, I loved that they were all together. And I think that's why it's been a little slower for me. But this season between Shauna giving birth in the past and the women's storylines finally converging in the future, I'm all in. I'm ready to like ride this thing through to the end. The next episode's gonna be banger. I have been like thinking so hard about what will happen when future Shauna meets future Lottie, because as we're seeing more and more, their past relationship in the wilderness was so overwrought, and it seems like they truly, truly hate each other, or at the very least have a a past that's like way more complicated than we've seen yet. But Melanie Linsky delivering her monologue in the kind of interrogation room with the police, oh my God. God, I think it was like maybe my favorite Melanie Linsky performance since the series has started. Like it was yes. like she was on. It felt like something that as an actor, she had really, really worked on. Like it looked like it took so much work and yet it felt completely natural. Like there was no reason for her to confess what she confessed, but it happened because of what was happening with the character. It was just so good. Also, young Shauna, played by Sophie Nelise, I thought was so incredible good. in this episode. You know, um, in the birthing scene, and then her, what turned out to be fantasies mm. of her child surviving, and then finding out the child had died. Just, she was so good. Jasmine Savoy Brown mm. is incredible. Also, like, I, I mean, th- just really great acting across the board. Also, this was the first time that I kind of liked Shauna's daughter, Callie. Same! Who I, like, who I hate. Hate. But when she t- told the, the, the detective that the, sh- that the other cop that she had sex with him, I was finally like, okay, you are, like, living up to, you know, your mother, the example set by your mother. In the worst way possible, but also the best way possible. So smart. But also, wait, so they didn't have sex, though, correct? No. Wow. Damn. But so I that's going to be tough. I think the thing that she said about his balls, like, I think he, really like, good. said something to her about his balls, so that's why she knows that. Oh, my God. I missed that. Um. Okay. Yeah, no, th- I, this was also the first time that I liked the daughter, and it was, like, a very... And I, honestly, you and I called it. Like, when we were ta- complaining about her, like, in previous episodes, something that we both said is just, like, she needs to either get on Melanie Linsky's side and, like, help be an evil person, or she needs to die. <laughs> like, it's one or the other. And, um, look, here she is. She's showing up. Yeah, I saw someone on Twitter saying that they fast forward through all of the present day scenes in Yellow Jackets. And it's like, why are you watching this show? I mean, look, I would love to watch 
the show just with the wilderness scenes. Like, yes, I would watch that version of the show, but I just, I don't know how it would make sense if you're skipping all the other stuff, which I think enriches the story, you know? Yeah, especially in this episode, because Shauna, you, her confession at the police station is so unearned if you're not seeing what happened when she was giving birth in the past. Mm. And, and vice versa. Like, it's not as devastating if you're not seeing how it ended up. So, yeah. Something that we're also seeing in the future montages is this further investigation of the supernatural elements of the show. And last time we talked about Yellow Jackets, you had basically said that you're still not convinced that Lottie's magic or that there's kind of magic going on. But in this most recent episode, in the the therapy scene with Lottie, we got like a lot more information about around what quote unquote it is. And this kind of demon ghost that is purported to be inhabiting some of these girls and making their lives worse. Like what, what, what's your thinking since we are, you know, a Yellow Jackets conspiracy theory podcast, what's some of your kind of thinking on that now? Well, what I liked in that therapy session that Lottie has is she's saying she kind of needed it to be part of her delusion because then it wasn't real. And now she is questioning whether she like actually is crazy and Mm -hmm. maybe it was real. It really has kind of solidified for me this season that I really don't want there to be something supernatural going on. Mm -hmm. I think it's much more interesting if it's all just reality. And this is about these people who a really fucked up thing happened to, and they're just dealing with, a lot of trauma. They're all fucked up. I think the show really wants to have it both ways a little mm, and really wants yeah. to keep us guessing. And I don't think they can do that forever. Yeah. At some point, they're going to have to commit either way. And like, I think I will be slightly disappointed if there's a supernatural thing going on, but at least I'll like be happy to know rather than them trying to keep us guessing. I don't think that's sustainable. Yeah. What do you think? No, I I kind of agree with that. It it does mix up the genre quite a bit. I mean, supernatural stuff has kind of been here since season one, but it's not necessarily the show I wanted to see, the show you wanted to see. But I'm I'm appreciative of how it's like coming down. Like it's it's moving the action forward and I don't mind that. Um are you watching the other two? Because there's a kind of tonal dissonance I was catching up on the other two, which just released new episodes. I'm sure a lot of virgins watch this, like, now on HBO show that used to be on Comedy Central show about a gay guy and a sister who has a a Justin Bieber-esque brother that blows up in popularity. The show is very funny. But I'm frustrated now because the show wants to be a pie-in-the-sky absurdist comedy, like the most absolutely deranged things that would never happen in real life happening in the show, which I love very like Broad City-esque. But also, it's now in its third season, really writing emotional realism. Like it wants to have serious conversations and like emotional, like, you know, diatribes about like what these characters are going through. And I was like, I was like, I can take a comedy with heart, but not this like, all of a sudden it's trying to be a drama, like truly a drama. Um, yeah. Well, dramedies have been so yeah. 
in vogue in the past years. Mm-hmm. And like, I've never watched the other two, so I can't really speak to that. But I do think to introduce that element seasons in yeah. is off-putting. If that's if that's the kind of show you're going to be, that's the kind of show you're going to be. But I think it kind of has to be in the DNA of your show from the beginning. Well, I just wanted to get that off my chest because I did I did watch it this week. Thank you for getting it off your breasts. My and breasts. I think since we're talking, we've been talking about TV, we should say that we stand in solidarity with the Writers Guild. Absolutely. And um, WGA Strong, even though neither of us are in it. Not, neither of us are in it, but we did post an amazing Nicole Kidman meme on uh, the feed in solidarity with the writer's strike. So. Yes. Give those girlies what they would deserve. Mm-hmm. Well, we have a very exciting guest today, Tommy Dorfman, who is an actress, it girl, director, soon to be. So she's here to talk about Spring Awakening, which if you aren't familiar, is a musical based on a German play of the same name that's all about teens in ye old hee-haw Germany discovering their sexuality. Um, my sexuality, as Jenna Maroney would say. <laughs> it was famously on Broadway, originated by the likes of Leah Michelle and Jonathan Groff. I saw it many times <laughs> in its original run, and both of us are very familiar with the soundtrack. We also went on a couple tangents about things like Friends and, I don't know, some other stuff. It's been a while since we recorded the episode, <laughs> but Alexa, play Mama Who Bore Me by Leah Michelle. Oh, now she's actually doing it. Alexa, stop! <laughs> Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. On Purpose's mission is to create impactful conversations to help you become happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. You'll be laughing, crying, and have so many impactful takeaways after this interview. I had this, like, you know, homie lover friend for a long time. He's very disrespectful to me, very kind of messed up to me. But in my mind, we could get married. We had the most beautiful babies. He handsome. I'm pretty. Like, it would be so cool. He's smart and intellectual. I'm kind of smart, I think. Like, it would be fun. We have the best conversations. Like, we have fun. But then he would treat me like crap. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, 
Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. A lot of artists in general, people that are very creative, sometimes tend to overthink. That's one of my number one rules. Don't ever overthink. You can think ahead, but don't overthink. And what I mean by that is when they start to write a record, they're like, oh, that's not the line. Oh, that's not this. Oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. For me, I just let it flow. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. There was like a brief overlap of Spring Awakening musical, the Duncan Cheek musical, OG, Lee Michelle Broadway cast, and I think Friends still being maybe on air? Because what no. year did Friends, I think it ended when I was still in high school, and I saw the original run of Spring Awakening off-Broadway the summer before I went to college, so summer of 2006. Wow, original. Wow. Yeah, right. Leah Michelle sat next to me on stage. Oh! Oh, because that was the station where like folks were on stage. As I well. mean, they did that on Broadway too, but it was yeah. a little more intimate. At yeah, the I think I theater. At which theater? The Atlantic. Oh, slay! Off Broadway, work. Yes. No, the first time I saw Spring Awakening was on tour at the Fox Theater in Atlanta, Georgia, mm. in high school. Mm. And were you old? a musical theater? I was girly, of course. Yeah, yeah, that tracks. And how old were you? I think I was a sophomore. How old were you, Rose? It was the summer before I went to college. My friends and I all went on a trip together to New York City um, the summer before we went to college. And I was going to college in New York, so it was more like a preview for me. Um, and we saw Spring Awakening. So one of us had heard about it. It was kind of getting buzzy. And we saw it off-Broadway. And I was gagged. I was like, this is this is it. You wow. Because up, up until then, I had only seen kind of the big musicals right and this was i didn't know that a musical could be like this. that yeah no i feel that way too although i had seen a touring production of rent mm, which yeah. i guess was like definitely Proto spring awakening yeah. in a lot of ways but i think like for spring awakening i came at it having drowned myself <laughs> in the soundtrack mm. so i remember going to Same. see it and knowing every single like Same. word harmony we sang song of purple summer at my high school graduation a couple years oh later my like God. we would do these musical reviews that were student directed and everybody picked spring awakening well we would we would do like songs from different musicals and then like weave them together in some very unfashionable way <laughs> it's um, actually so good that spring awakening didn't come out until after I was out of high school, otherwise I would have been insufferable. Every theater competition would have been bitch of living, as I'm sure it was yeah. after I graduated. So. I still would, sorry, like in college, sing some Spring Awakening. Yeah, Spring Awakening, I stuff. think, is like responsible for a generation of insufferable adolescence, for sure. I Certainly. I feel like, um. so I saw it in high school as well. I had um, one of my friends in my like group was like very wealthy and took... 
like her whole friend group to see Spring Awakening for her birthday. Wow. And I was like, yeah. To New York City to, to see it. Um flew they got flewed out. No, actually, um it was it was the traveling it was the traveling it was the touring production. It was the it, traveling it, circus of Spring yeah, Awakening. Yes, and it was in Chicago. So I, yeah, it was wow. I remember just being like fully I mean, we all were listening to the soundtrack just as you were like all the way like up to the performance. So by the time we were there we were like screaming. Okay, like, so of the three of us, I'm the only one who's seen Jonathan Groff's spit on Leah Michelle <laughs> in person in person in- <laughs> did you guys in a the theatrical would- context so why why did spring awakening sort of you know catch your imagination i think uh, the sheer faggotry of it mm-hmm. and being like a self-harm teenage drug addict mm-hmm. like all of those things wrapped up in a little black silk dystopian bow mm. for me i also th- my entry point into it was like a boy I had a crush on mm. who was a couple years older than me was going to Northwestern. He was like, do you know this musical? Um, <laughs> and you were like, yeah, of course I know. Yeah. I would. I, I, I still to this day will say if I don't know something, but I will learn it. Yeah. I will learn it expediently. So you for, love to lie. At the time for Dick. Yeah. It's yeah, a white yeah. lie. It's a white lie. A Caucasian lie. No, I didn't lie. I said I didn't know it, but then I learned it immediately and I was like, yes, okay, I'm on this, I'm on the same page as you. He was named after a vegetable. <laughs> I won't say which one, which I always thought was weird. Rutabaga. Um, but before the vegetable became really popular, rise. Kale. <laughs> so, <laughs> Brussels sprouts. <laughs> um, I no, I think I think all of those things. I think like any musical opening with like boobies was so exciting to me mm-hmm. as a yeah. kid, and this the sexualization of of that particular story, and just the feeling. I I, I think I can't imagine a queer person of our generation who wouldn't have been obsessed with Spring Awakening in some capacity. You're very right. It also, I think, is this um, litmus test within musical theater of like, are you a cool musical theater nerd or are you a nerd musical theater nerd? Right. Because it, it made mm. like uncool theater kids feel like we had they a were place. rock stars. Yeah. You know? so true. Yeah. It w- were you a theater kid, Grant? Girl, yeah, I was. We our our high school was like a had a very robust theater program. We did twelve shows a year. So That's too many, way That's too many. Crazy, and that is like the school year, it's not like you're the doing summer stock. We did two. It was. We and did two. We did two. We did two main stage productions. Yeah, our, like, like no, we just had one main stage. But I went to a really small school. Mm. I went to a big public school and and we had a big theater program and so I you know became a workaholic at a, at a high school age and was working on multiple productions at a time during my school year like whether that was like assistant directing or like stage managing or being a part of the crew or whatever um, doing social yeah doing doing yeah so doing social media <laughs> management um spring awakening I think it just like there's something about it that I like I was listening to it again this morning I hadn't listened to it in ages um and I was like it just is it perfectly encapsulates all this angst that we wanted to channel when we were like 15, 16. Um, I know like the characters I think are like 14 in the original play. Leah Michelle was 14 when she started workshopping this. Yeah. Which is cuckoo bananas to She's me. She's too young. Yeah. Very young. <laughs> but she was very, very perfect. Young. And I think Leah and Jonathan Groff were like two of the most prevalent voices of that generation of Broadway. And so... But also, like, perfectly streamlined into the Glee obsession of my high school. Oh, Oh, you're a Gleek. I was a Gleek. Of Of course course I was a Gleek. Of course I was a Gleek. And I think just the shared 
history and admiration of both of those things and like knowing where Leah Michelle came from mm. was sort of like a cool card to play, right? Mm-hmm. Um watching that audition over and over and over again where she like slaps the producer of Glee in the <laughs> face when she's auditioning for Rachel Berry. Have you seen this? No. Please watch this later. Please describe, somebody describe it. Okay. Leah Michelle is doing On My Own. Okay. This is a song. Pretending iconic. He's and then me. she's doing a scene with what I think would have been like, yeah, the late great Cory Monteith's character. Um, but she, it's like a chemistry read. The story goes that on her way to this like final audition for Glee, she got into a car accident and there was like glass still in her hair and like in her body and face when she <laughs> and showed she up. Still went to didn't the tell anybody. And then like halfway up. through the scene, in the scene, she slaps Corey in the face and she you she walks past camera and you just hear her go to whoever's reading with her and the whole room like erupted in laughter and then she she iconically is like that wasn't supposed to be funny it's not <gasps> funny uh. um but it was very Rachel Berry Leah Michelle merging together as one well they are the same person. I also think it's really crazy that like she ever had to audition for this I understand it I guess mm. but like it it felt so clear to me that like Ryan Murphy had written this part for her mm. and like has always been inspired by Broadway and, like, finding ways to bring the theater into, like, film and television, for better or worse. Mm-hmm. And um, I also remember that pilot just being, like, one of the best, still, I think, like, one of the best TV pilots of all time. It's an incredible pilot. It used to have to, it was supposed to not be a network show. I think it was, like, an FX show originally or something, so it was cable, and it was supposed to be much darker. I would have liked the darker version because well, I, I think I think that's what that's what hooked me into right. at the beginning. It was a very different show than what it eventually became, and I really liked that first season. And then when it started being about like bullying, and then I school shooting. Like, Bye. I oh mean, my god, I forgot about that. There was the there was thing, a school shooting. Yes, in the Glee in the, oh in the season two or three. Um, yeah, in in um, that was the same thing with Pose too. It's like. When Ryan got the script, the pilot that Steve had um, written was, like, dark and angsty and, like, did not leave a lot of hope. And I think that, like, Ryan is really, like, attracted to that, like, dichotomy of something that's, like, dark and angsty but, like, still has this, like, campy levity to it. And so that's why Pose is, you know, they, they rewrote it, obviously, over and over again, as you do with every pilot. But... Yeah, I feel like um. So I I don't know what you know. Well, if you know this about me, Tommy, but I like grew up super religious. I was like in a super duper sheltered like mm. family. Everyone of the ever all the virgins at home are like, yes, yes, we know, Fran. Like they've heard the story over and over again. But like that, what uh, there was not a more perfect musical to like come into my periphery at the time in my life where I did, was like, oh, I I don't think I believe in God anymore. And that's right. literally exactly like I was probably like sixteen. Or- so, so to sum it up, Spring Awakening made you an atheist. <laughs> you know, I had a re- I had a you reach. Said God is totally fucked. I I was on the cusp of atheism at the time. I think I still kind of had a light belief in God that was like wavering. And at the time, I was also experiencing high school relationship, like a a, a coy relationship with a boy in my school, and it was so everything about it felt hidden. It felt like something that you know was at odds with you know my family with my belief systems and like this show like really encapsulated everything that i was feeling even though it's like obviously 
It's so stupid to think about, like, high schoolers trying to relate to something that's, like, so extreme and so dark. But it is kind of like Skins or, you know, like, all these teen shows. Yeah, I mean, they're teenagers. It is the teenage experience of, like, totally. And there was also something really, like, private about it. Yeah. Because it was, like, we had iPods or a version of. We had, like, MP3 players. Like, most kids, like, of our generation had some access to a laptop or, like, a computer Mm -hmm. with some private time. And I remember, like, it felt like a shared secret or something like it wasn't supposed to necessarily i mean i i grew up very differently i grew up in a household that was like incredibly i would say like like too few roles Mm. um so i remember when i went to see it i remember like getting drunk like with my friends and i think like my mom before seeing it or something Mm. like and i remember being like very 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 tipsy in the theater like in high school Mm. but still like this auditory exclusively like auditory experience of like having this music to like lean back on and rely on and like walk to school with or whatever um felt really intimate favorite song totally it was totally fucked for me just because like just like the everything that was like repressed about me like got let out in that song you know what i mean like we were we've talked before about like when during the panic of the disco era where like you know we as high school high schoolers us as like teenagers we were like waiting for the moment to say like whore you know to scream whore along with the song and with this it was like of course we're all like waiting 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 to say totally fucked you know what i mean like because we got yeah, to it was say like getting fucked. away with something bad yes we got to scream along to a song where like fuck was in the chorus and that was like that was crazy that was crazy to me i i could not fathom it and yeah it was it was really liberating my favorite is the dark i know well mm. of course as a you know traumatized little pre-girl mm, pre- that really latched on to that what about you tommy she's scanning the track list i know i think it has to be don't do sadness slash blue wind so good oh that Wait, that wh- girl with the braids remind me of that song again what's like the kind of emotional crux of that of that song it's um the one where M- moritz moritz is singing uh, basically like before death yeah. before he, he will. kills himself before he unalives himself mm. um and runs into What's that bitch with Wilma, Wilda, Gretchen, runs into Wendla, and she's like, come play with me. And he's like, I got business. <laughs> he's like, I got business to attend to. The names in this musical, I mean, it's amazing. Something that must be said is that um, because this show was like adapted from like a German stage play in the late 1800s, they all have crazy archaic names like they have they're all named like melchior and moritz and like the, the, i'm just like what are these kids names i love it we should on? we should bring back trans little baby trances out there when you're picking those chosen names <laughs> yeah go back to the Them old text yeah auto wait tommy please I, I, okay pull auto you me. you saying unalive yourselves is just making me think of like this i know that's like tiktok speak <clears throat> Because it's like, you know, people have started talking that way because they don't want to get, like, their, you know, content, you know, um, shadow banned by the bots. Yeah. But it is, like, I do feel like the 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 prudification of Gen Z mm. is, like, in direct opposition to what we were growing when up When we would just, like, scream the R Awakening. word at everybody <laughs> and, like, watch Spring Awakening and, like, didn't have... We weren't worried about that type of censorship because we didn't have, like... Well, we had photos that were posted, like, by the dozen 
for me at least on Facebook. Like mm, I, yeah. I still have my Facebook history from before I deleted my Facebook. I like downloaded it, and it's like it's crazy to me because I would post like hundreds of photos at a time. But uh, they were all super inappropriate, though. To your point, like it was like I had like s- two cigarettes in my mouth, and like mm. was like s- like biting on someone's tit, like 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 high As you school, been. like yeah. high school party chaos, and we didn't have. The sort of globalization of social media, we had like the intimacy of it mm-hmm. between friends mm-hmm. and friends of friends, and it was very like, am I going to accept your friend request or not? It hadn't. There was no this idea of like followers didn't exist, like this idea of uh, sort of gratification via likes, comments, etc. wasn't at all developed in the way that it is now, and I don't think like Instagram didn't come into my life until college, so. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm grateful that we didn't have that sort of purification, if as you phrased it so beautifully. Like I, when I'm on TikTok, I I do feel for some of the ways in which like these kids have had to create it. The as a millennial doll, like picked it up this unalived. But I do think, I think because I went through so much like PR training around Thirteen Reasons Why and like how to talk about suicide, unalive mm-hmm. actually just feels like a. Um, a cleaner way of saying mm-hmm. died by suicide to mm-hmm. me or like mm-hmm. um and I understand the the sort of protocols of it all but I I ultimately yeah I, I definitely have picked up some like stupid jargon that I mean we all sense. have it's ingrained I, in us now I don't think totally I don't think it's stupid I think it's it's like a, a a euphemism to 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 not glamorize and also like reframe the ways that you know, we think about suicide and it's like, I think it's better than just like not talking about it at all because we're all kids thinking about yeah. this stuff and, and unfortunately like musicals and other cultural objects like Spring Awakening, we're like glamorizing it for a, for lack of a better way of putting it. Like maybe not glamorizing, but it was, there's a No, but there's a romanticism to it. In, Certainly. Oh, a hundred percent. In theater, in movies. I mean, you know, I watched Romeo plus Juliet and watched those, Oh yeah. Watched oh. Leo and Claire kill themselves and I was like, I want to do it too. And Same. I've tried. Tommy, you seem Same. like a Romeo plus Juliet. Wait, you said Romeo plus Juliet. Yeah, well, you have ah, gotten me to me do it. Yes, you're. Yeah, I'm rubbing up on oh. you. That is the poster. Yeah. Did, um, did you watch that? Were you a big Baz Luhrmann fan? Of course I was and am. Of course I had boyfriends that I would like scream Mulan Rouge the musical movie songs mm. with like speeding down Peachtree Street in Atlanta where I grew up. I actually referenced stills from Romeo plus Juliet and for my movie, my first movie that I just finished making. And I, I, there's like that, the scene with all the candlelight, like the sex candle, like mm-hmm. I was like, that's like, there's some of the most beautiful imagery in that film in particular, like the fish tank. Oh, mm-hmm. the fish tank. Like, come on. That song. Kissing you. Baz Luhrmann's a trans icon. I don't know why. <laughs> But I don't think Yeah, he, a little kinda, bit. Yeah. Like in a way. Elvis I mean, is kind of is a little trans mask. Mercutio? I would say Leo is trans mask. Obviously. So, yeah. Literally. Obviously RuPaul brought, you know, tra- uh, not trans at all, sorry, drag queens to mainstream media, but I would say Baz Luhrmann was maybe doing it first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like actors and I was like thinking I love when actors do drag, mm-hmm. like really beautiful character work that also is like cinematic drag. Mm-hmm. Um, like House of Gucci. Well, I'm not sure it was all beautiful character work. Yeah. What I will say is like everyone in that movie except for Adam Driver is a drag queen in the best <laughs> way possible. Can we all do a father-son House of Gucci? <laughs> okay, one, two, three. 
father, son, a house of Gucci. We all did that forehead, shoulder, shoulder. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver. And this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. On Purpose's mission is to create impactful conversations to help you become happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. You'll be laughing, crying, and have so many impactful takeaways after this interview. I had this, like, you know, homie lover friend for a long time. He's very disrespectful to me, very kind of messed up to me. But in my mind, we could get married. We had the most beautiful babies. He handsome. I'm pretty. Like, it would be so cool. He's smart and intellectual. I'm kind of smart, I think. Like, it would be fun. We have the best conversations. Like, we have fun. But then he would treat me like crap. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. A lot of artists in general, people that are very creative, sometimes tend to overthink that's one of my number one rules. Don't ever overthink. You can think ahead, but don't overthink. And what I mean by that is when they start to write a record, they're like, oh, that's not the line. Oh, that's not this. Oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. For me, I just let it flow. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You actually give us two topics for today, and oh, I think we I should know. discuss. Okay, so we've done the second one. Thing. We did all my albums. We'll vacillate between the two, and now we're going to talk about friends. My <laughs> Tommy is my personal, head my on. personal arch nemesis, and I want to give that some context to that by talking about why. So, my brother and his wife, who are like the straightest straight people who have ever lived, love Friends. Like they just watch Friends all the time, and in fact, at their wedding, both of them mentioned Friends in their vows. No. And now that is cis culture. My sister-in-law's sister, who was the maid of honor, in her speech 
um, at the reception, you know how every Friends episode is like the one where something yes. something. So her speech was split up into sections, uh-uh. and, and they were like, things the like one where the you one where my had sister diarrhea in your tights. No, it's like the one where my sister met the man of her dreams. Oh, oh. no, we will. Love, we love that. That's so. That's like if that if that's there was you, a, that's you can you. love that. that. I'm sweet. a hater. <laughs> yeah, you. I'm a hater with you. Honestly, I think that's really cheesy. Sorry, you heard it here. Why did not you... first? I'm sure. But when you said friends, I like my jaw dropped, Tommy. I was like, yes, yes, and yes, and yes. Like that is so perfect. It's something that has it it's kind of bizarre now that when you go to Hot Topic, it's not like, you know, Tim Burton paraphernalia. It's like t-shirts with the friends it's cast. Central Perk, lo- yes. like logo t-shirts. Yes. And it has this like nostalgic quality that has been re-enlivened by Gen Z, but like is omnipotent in our generation, you know? Like <laughs> that's really interesting. I think. Also, they did the Central Park thing in the city a couple years ago, and it was on the street that I was living on with Kaya, and it was like we would leave, and it would just be like chaos Central Park all the time, but I always like very, very much wanted to experience that, but I couldn't couldn't fathom doing it in those circumstances. It just felt like very stressful, and I also feel like, again, Friends for me was a communal thing, but it was also, it's, it's still a very like private and personal thing, because... For many, many, many years and still to this day, it's like what I put on to help me fall asleep if I can't sleep. It's your comfort show. It's so comfortable. I know it so well. And then also because it's sort of like I was talking to someone who was in the original cast of Hamilton and I was like, how is it? You're on your like 30th year. And he was like, I literally forgot my lines the other night. Like (gasps) this was a couple years ago when he was still doing the show. He was like, I've been doing this for so long that I forgot the show. Like in a way, like it's been, it's like I've gone through so many phases of like, and to me with friends, it's like, I know that show like the back of my hand and yet like I, I also would struggle to like bring up every single detail of it because mm-hmm. I've watched it so many times in and out of it consciousness. Just kind of, like becomes it, like, this all, amorphous blob. Yeah, there's a trans character on there's trans character. Let's Chandler's just say dad. That. Chandler's dad. Chandler's, Chandler's mom. Quote, um, quote unquote dad. Or if Chandler's dad's anything like Caitlyn Jenner, Chandler's dad. Um <laughs> da- the one I'm micro daddy proud. Friends is like Coco Melon for adults. What is Coco Melon? Coco Melon is like one of those shows that they put on for kids that is oh. just like, like my like niece woke me up the other and... night and was like it was 3 a.m. crawled in the bed with me in Colorado. Also with my family, obviously. And she woke me up and she's like, I can't sleep. She's like four. She's like, I can't sleep. Can we watch Bluey? And I didn't know what Bluey was, but Bluey sounds like one of those shows too. It's like the show you put, like the kids watch. Yeah. And it's these like micro eight minute episodes. It's for them to dissociate to. It's like Literally. it's like visual ketamine. It's Bluey, Bluey, okay. Bluey, Bluey. Visual can ketamine. You, can you remind me of the storyline around Chandler's parent? This was like a parent. I I really want to talk. Was about a performer this. who then ultimately I think did transition. Like was a drag right. queen turned trans femme. Maybe mm-hmm. like in Vegas. I just remember them like going to that show at some point. Played by a cis woman. No, 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 no. Played, Played by, by a man. cis man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the '90s after all. Um, um, I think because it was the '90s, there was there's lack of clarity in the obviously in how it's written and how they were probably thinking about the character about the, sure. the, about Chandler's quote unquote mom dad's like gender because like you know in theory like. Chandler's quote unquote dad could be a crossdresser and not a trans person. Totally and a transvestite. Yeah, that's kind of the way they frame it. But also, like we 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 have no way of knowing, right? <laughs> How could we know? Some things are better left unsaid. That's true. Which um which friend would you say that you are? Mm. 
crucial I'm question. I would say because I'm baby, I'm Rachel. You are Rachel. Yeah. I don't think there's any other answer. I know. I think, like, I, I'm definitely not Ross. I'm definitely not Chandler. I have Monica tendencies at home around, like, doing the dishes, for example, and, like, mm-hmm. the cleanliness of things at times. But I would say, overall, I have the, like, very... I have, I like, at my core, I'm a Rachel. Okay, who do you think we are? Because I don't, I'm not, like, well-versed I know enough, who I, I am. think. Okay, who are you? Are you, you Monica? Phoebe? I'm Monica. Crystal okay. clear, I'm Monica, unfortunately. I wish I wasn't, but I, I've done a lot of searching. And it was, like, Monica or, like, Ross. I might be Chandler. <laughs> you actually are Chandler. Yeah. Kind of give Chandler, I yeah. actually think you are Chandler. Like, if you had that kind of nine-to-five... Posi- like you would, you, I have, yeah, and you come in with the zingers. You do, and I you, do love a zinger. Yeah, I think like you're and my dad's if, trans. If, if I can really, <laughs> I know <laughs> your version. If, of I, if I think about my introduction to yours was, was like Twitter, and like you're really in, you're an incredible tweeter, and that Chandler cool. would have a fire have Twitter. A fire Twitter. If, if Chandler was trans, <laughs> could I? <laughs> no, could I, I was be say, any I more trans? Could I be any more suicidal? <laughs> I'm, I don't know. No. I, feel, I feel like Chandler, yeah, like was just this like really, there was something really dark about him because he was so out of step with his like own emotions. And that was something he was constantly like coming up against. It's like he used comedy to deflect. I and feel. he was a smoker. And he was a smoker. The last time you could smoke in a sitcom. Yeah. On, right. you know, mm. on I mean, in many TV. ways that show how like solidified my need to move to New York or a version of New York like that with the Sex LA the version of New York yeah but i didn't know any better like that with the with sex in the city sort of like mm-hmm. came together and made me feel lots of feelings about the city in particular growing up in georgia but oh god it's like i'm like trying i'm struggling to think who my phoebe is in my life mm. i was thinking about that like Everyone has, like, a Phoebe, this kind of, like, person that pops in and out and does completely random things. They're, like, spacey friend who yeah. is... Tons of past all, lives. Ju- all vibes. Many vibes, many past lives, has somehow, like, survived everything has and nothing. Has an evil twin for some reason. Has Named multiple. Ursula. That, I rem- why am I remembering all this friend stuff? Because we I all know. friends. Against like, our will. It was always... You this hate. is the thing with friends. It's because, like, I grew up in the 90s. It was always... On in the background. I never actively watched it because I was right. never into it. I was a Will and Grace girl. Oh, yeah. I liked Will and Grace a lot. I, I was, was not I a was Seinfeld girl. Bring, I was not a Seinfeld girl either. But Friends was always around. I watched a lot of it, but it was never my thing. Um, I'm just dipping. If you can hear that, it's just my bag. And I'm grabbing some Glossgaybomb.com. Can you do some ASMR um, yeah, for the virgins? Glossgaybomb.com. Swissmissbomb.com. Okay, I'm sorry. Swissmiss. I'm judging you. You like the sw- out of every flavor you picked, Swiss Miss. To be fair, they've gifted me all of them, so it's just a matter <laughs> of like what's in what bag. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Not to be Rachel about it, <laughs> but you are Rachel, but and you eventually are. you will get the Rachel haircut. At some point, naturally, I yeah. will have to, especially when I have like kids or something. I think also like I was a retail girly, I was a fashion girly, like still am a sort of fashion file in a lot of ways, but. It, before acting and, and working in entertainment, I was working in retail. And yeah, like, what was her job? She worked at she Ralph worked Lauren. At right? Ralph Bloomingdale. Lauren. Mm. Yeah, she was like a buyer. How mm. did she get there from the show when the show started? Rachel. She was, a, she she, was an Epo baby. When the show no, started, that's what I'm saying so. There's like a certain amount of like 
je ne sais quoi and privilege and looking like Jennifer Aniston, right? A certain amount of LGBT quoi. <laughs> and also, like, the delusions of her. Like, mm, her yeah. ability to just be like... LGBT quoi <laughs> If you have that haircut, you can... And you can kind of make shit happen. Yeah, and I think, mm. like, if you look good in clothes, you can work in fashion. Actually, that's true. <laughs> like, that's literally, like, Period. so... You know, and I, I don't th- I think for her... She she as I think she was like as a shopper I know what people want to buy I'm sure that's what she said in her interview and the the guy was just drooling over her Do you remember when Chandler was briefly dating Rachel's boss and then got like locked in her office like naked with handcuffs on like a like a sexy lunch date Oh no. yeah because the boss was like kinky it was like, a, it was like a kinky perpetually single like girl boss in her like late 40s i i forgot about that honestly i i feel like the all of the episodes kind of like mesh together in your head and you're like what happened that was the one where the um I think that I, was season six or something i love janice i love janice. The MVP. chandler ross chandler um ever present a question in the culture um as a rachel do you think that rachel you know, was meant to be with Ross. Do you think that when she got with Joey, it was totally like wedged in? Like a lot of people feel like when she got with Joey, it made no sense. But do you think that who who is Rachel's soulmate? I think getting with I think Ross is Rachel's soulmate, for better or worse. For her, her, her soulmate. Her or her soulmate. <laughs> I think Joey makes a lot of sense because in so many ways he's the opposite. He plays the opposite of Ross, right? Mm-hmm. And like that's why they work in a room and that's why their humor works because Ross is like hyper intellectual and intelligent, and Joey's like a little like doofus goofball. The, the right? OG himbo. He was so, so hot in the he's early season. So hot seasons. in the early seasons, oh and God. so I think like. I think it makes a lot of sense that Rachel would sort of rebound with Joey and then find him really like endearing and find some love there. Like it wouldn't just be like a one-off thing. Like if you're getting fucked like that, presumably Joey was fucking very well. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, fucking had a reputation sucking. going, you know, and then eventually like she sort of meanders back into stability with Ross. We were on a break. And his kid, Cole Dylan Sprouse. Uh, Wait, is that who played his Wait, game? really? Yeah. A oh uh, star of your upcoming movie. Cole what? Dylan Sprouse plays Ross's kid. Oh. Wow. And also, Ross's well, um, ex-wife was a lesbian. Yeah. And that was very, you and, know, and was from a, the beginning. was like kind of a cool lesbian. Like, not, it yeah. wasn't like, I mean, there were some definitely like homophobic remarks, but like. Oh, absolutely. Very truthful to like what a straight man would have said at that time. Mm-hmm. It was, I mean, I, listen, I'm not going to say there were Friends was surprisingly queer, but like, it, it was, definitely. it was um, a more honest depiction of, I think, what what, like, metropolitan life would have been for mm. these people than we would have gotten on, like, a CBS sitcom. Yeah, yeah. Are there characters that you... So, obviously, these characters are, like, the cis straightest characters, all, all six Except of the for Chandler's ca- dad. Except for Chandler's dad. But the, of the six, do you do you think... Or maybe if there's anybody else in this, like, uh, ensemble, do you think any of these folks were eventually queer after the show ended? I mean, any Phoebe had to have been... Phoebe, right? But, all, but also... Phoebe ends up happily is... married to a man, but I do think she's definitely, like scissored a few girls in her life sure, sure but i also have found that it is like the crunchiest 
like cis straight girls in your life who you think will be so down who are actually like the most tied to the heteropatriarchy yeah. and have never done anything. Literally, I actually feel like that. Monica's a repressed lesbian maybe out of all yes. of them. Ooh. I could yes. see that. Rachel's certainly straight. Phoebe I could see being like a really like very very like anti-5G or right now yeah. very mm-hmm. straight with like 17 kids with that hot guy who I think is also in Sex and the City or something mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Is it the same guy who plays Aiden plays her? Yeah. Is that true? I don't no. remember actually. Did Phoebe da- end up with Paul Rudd? It's Paul Rudd. It's Paul Rudd, yeah. which has this. Paul Rudd has a similar energy to the guy who plays Aiden. So I think that's yeah. where I got John got Corbett. confused. Um, Would suck. I also feel, I mean, there's a world, I think, where if, if there's like a Friends reboot or whatever, I feel like Phoebe would be the one that was like trans amorous. Like she gets like a like a sexy trans, but you're like no. If he, Tommy's like no, no, no. I don't see no, it. I think, she's a, <laughs> I think she's a turf actually. Yeah. <laughs> Phoebe's a turf. No. Yeah, I, I don't see it for her. Phoebe's evil. Twin I could see Ursula. Turf. No, I could see Ursula with a trans man. Oh. Maybe, no. maybe, maybe Ursula. She's filmed some is scenes. Phoebe's fraternal twin who transitioned. Ooh, and that's why she, Phoebe hates her so much. No, yeah. I, <laughs> smelly cat, smelly cat. I think Chandler is bi. Maybe I could see bi energy from I Chandler. I think Chandler sucked a dick in college. I don't know if he is bi, personally. I don't. I think he's been in a dark room in his life <laughs> or two. Maybe. I actually think Joey is probably bi in some capacity and like fluid. I'm also just remembering now. Okay, we said earlier that Chandler's quote unquote dad was played by a man, which he which he was for some, which but they then were. It was it was played a, by a woman, a cis woman, but at the point. end in like the last season, I think a cis woman came in and played Chandler's quote unquote dad. Because that was the yeah. thing with any right. sort of trans-ish characters, you know, they would always be played by cis women to, like, heighten the joke mm-hmm. of, like, you used to be a man. Yeah. Right. It's, it's very Ugly Betty. Yeah, it's very Ugly Betty. Yeah. Right. Ahead of its time. Did you have a favorite episode? Well, I love when they go on vacation. Mm. Like, the London, for Ross's London wedding is, like, when such Chandler a fun series. When Chandler and Monica yep. hook up for the first time. It's such a fun little moment. I think... There's an episode, I don't know why it's coming to my head, but like I love all the present day stuff with Monica and Ross's parents. Like whenever they're in the picture, I just think they're really funny. Mm. And there's an episode where like Monica caters, is invited to cater something for the first time Mm. for her parents and she like loses a fingernail in like one of the sh- like shepherd's pies or whatever she's oh. making which is really funny like she it's a fake fingernail because she really wants to like impress her mom so she's wearing like press-ons um friends always but... makes me think of thanksgiving because they always did Thanksgiving oh, yeah. episodes mm-hmm. and like the turkey head well they all those shows used to do these every they would do because well, they were on they were on, they were on every, every week, week. i also i used to. to watch it with my family every week so really? it was like it was like it was we, must went, we went from seventh heaven to friends weekly basically not seventh heaven i know and i was not religious we were not religious but jessica beal forever we were not allowed to watch friends jessica beal is actually the archetype for me like Ooh. she's like Wait, who's she's seven? the blueprint she's the blueprint Jessica Biel oh. is like the rebellious Christian daughter on Seventh Heaven who then did eventually leave the show because mm. she was like on to bigger and better. Were you allowed to watch Seventh Heaven? We were we were allowed to watch Seventh Heaven, but we didn't as a family, we didn't really watch it like, you know, religiously, even though we were <laughs> religiously. religiously. Emphasis on religious. Um, we were not allowed to watch Friends. Forbidden in my household. And when I was like, um, you know, I would say in my like late like preteen years or maybe like yeah, preteen years, still in high school though. I remember like at this point I was starting to make choices for myself about like what I could watch and what I couldn't watch. Still wasn't allowed to watch Friends, but like, you know, I I was 
some I was becoming an adult and I knew that my mom um watched friends as a comfort show like I knew that she huh. would engage in it even though she was she wouldn't allow us to watch it like it was her kind of quote unquote guilty pleasure or whatever and so one Christmas, a Christmas that we spent with my mom's family in Colorado, I found a box set of Friends. I don't even remember what season, but I found a box set of Friends at like Borders or whatever. And I got it for my mom for Christmas. Aww. And I was like, th- I thought I was being thoughtful and like just being like, hey, like I, you know, especially when you're when you're that age, just like you're learning how to give gifts. You're learning how to like express Love. I'm a big right. gift giver. Same. And my mom, who was opening this present in front of like our entire family, saw like a peak of like the friends logo or whatever. And she just kind of like immediately left the room. <gasps> yes. And she and and I remember and I like what well, I remember like just kind of being like, oh, and she was just like, I just don't want I don't want my sisters to see. And she like put it in her bag and she was like, Thank you for the gift. Or oh wow. It was really? it was such an intense moment. And it, it actually speaks it speaks volumes about like the relationship I had with my mom, um, but like it was her shame. Oh my god! A show Friends that isn't even that. Shame. Yes, it's not even that controversial. It's just... I honestly think you people should be ashamed of liking Friends. So <laughs> well, now I that. <laughs> no tea. We're like, I think. Wow, that's really interesting. I feel like. Do you still have a relationship with your mom? Yeah, I do. Cool. Uh, my parents were 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 cool now. Yeah, and you... they're chill. They're very very chill now. They'll watch Friends. We'll watch Friends together. It doesn't matter. Great. Yeah, so you, now you're allowed to watch Friends. <laughs> now, yeah, I'm finally in, at the stage of my life where I'm allowed to watch um, it. When HBO Max bought it, you were allowed to watch it. Yeah. yeah. Bought it back. Yeah. Um, I think, I'm like, was it controversial? I guess there were some themes around it that would have been inappropriate to watch as a kid. It's literally but, just But the it was fact all like innuendos, though, right? A little bit. I yeah, maybe anything that anything that referenced sex, that depicted right. sex, that depicted like two naked bodies and a bed waking up in the way that they do in sitcoms. We're like, what? What do we just do? Which is like the Chandler Monica. Yeah, That's yeah, how yeah. I wake up every morning. <laughs> every <laughs> with a, another naked you body. You're like, what the? What? Um, yeah. What the heck? Yeah. Oh no. What? Yeah. That was. I gasp awake every morning like I'm Phoebe and Charmed having a premonition in right in my household <laughs> in my household the things that were forbidden it was not i mean sometimes it was about swearing but it wasn't about like violence or guns it was about sex and huh. sex was what they were protecting me from huh. and that's why you know spring awakening was so radical to me too is like i was you know these these se- things sexual things like you know romeo plus juliet baz Luhrmann, rent which we were talking about before um we started recording about this kind of predecessor to spring awakening like I wasn't that like those the pop things. rock musical. Yeah. Rent really is the blueprint for Spring Awakening. In a lot of and, ways. And you know, I'm not a rent girly. I never was, but I am a Spring Awakening girly. Really? Yeah. Why Spring Awakening and not Rent? I don't know. And, like, the thing is, I'm extremely literate when it comes to Rent. You know, like, I've seen it. I know the music. I had that double CD box mm-hmm. set. We know what it's... But it wasn't what I was drawn to. Like, I was always... <sighs> I mean, when, when it came to musical theater, I was, like, more fabulous in what I was seeking out. Like, Phantom of the Opera is my favorite show. Like, oh, I wow. like a big musical spectacle. And then, I don't know, I guess Spring Awakening, like, hit me at the right time where I was looking for the intimacy that it provided and i think it's also like the duncan cheek of it all it like is good you know indie it's rock music really good music it's really good music and i love it's very really good lyrics what else did duncan do he wrote that song barely breathing from the 90s yeah. where that is in the episode of girls where booth jonathan traps marnie in the thing with all the tvs and yeah. it plays on a loop do you like girls 
I love girls. Me too. It is. <laughs> I I have revisited it so many times. Yeah. Um, after it came off the air, and every time I watch it, I like it more and more. I think. Yeah. It, I think it is genius. It's a fine wine, and like so, it was so ahead of its time. Yeah. And, but also so talk extremely about the of its like time. Lena really redefined television mm, and like yeah. what you could do with television and like the intimacy and like groundedness of like bringing indie movies into tele- television, like cable television spaces. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. On Purpose's mission is to create impactful conversations to help you become happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. You'll be laughing, crying, and have so many impactful takeaways after this interview. I had this, like, you know, homie lover friend for a long time. He's very disrespectful to me, very kind of messed up to me. But in my mind, we could get married. We had the most beautiful babies. He handsome. I'm pretty. Like, it would be so cool. He's smart and intellectual. I'm kind of smart, I think. Like, it would be fun. We have the best conversations. Like, we have fun. But then he would treat me like crap. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. A lot of artists in general, people that are very creative, sometimes tend to overthink That's one of my number one rules. Don't ever overthink. You can think ahead, but don't overthink. And what I mean by that is when they start to write a record, they're like, oh, that's not the line. Oh, that's not this. Oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. For me, I just let it flow. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A Sprouse is in one in your in an upcoming film, Tommy. What what can you what can you tell the virgins in this very early stage? I mean, Cole mom? Sprouse is in my movie. He plays this like small sort of not small. I mean, he plays like a substantive supporting role. Great role for him. Um, you know, all of the names in this movie are really in support of 
been the lead of our movie. And like, so I feel really grateful for the actors that like showed up for, to do this, who like didn't need to, (laughs) you know Mm. what I mean? Like, I feel really, really grateful for like friends of mine or acquaintances of mine who kind of came in and and helped get this movie made. Cause if you're making projects, like you need like financeable attributes to those projects for the most part. Right. And for me, it was with this kind of film in particular, because it's, it was sort of like an intimate coming of age film. It's not like a big broad, you know, comedy or anything. Like I really, like I needed to have some of the support of, um, certain types of people who are also really talented actors and who really believed in like this story and, 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 Mm. um, lending their artistry to it. And also their, their, their cachet, if Mm. you will. And I, I've seen an, I know we can't go to such an early cut. It's so crazy, but I'm so grateful because I feel like you gave me such really, just such such really good feedback. Oh, thank you. I Fran mean, is very good at feedback. I I, I am <laughs> to an extent. Um, but yeah, I, I seeing seeing him in that role as this kind of supportive, like you know, father fa- figure, father paternal ass. I was like, we've never seen him in a role like this. No, and I was like, that's cool. It was. I mean, look like Cole's 30, 31 this year. Alex Daddario is also in her mid thirties. Like. Uh, is a stepmom like uh, thinking of these two people who are like of childbearing rearing age Mm. like getting to sort of for Cole like step out of a high school project or even college project and into like a proper like adult thing was is really nice and like I'm grateful that like it was really nice to see him play like a human being again. If that mm. makes sense, like no, true. Not that like they're not human beings on Riverdale, but I sort of feel like I mean, I feel like again, drag. Um, it is, it, it is, is drag. drag. It 100%. is drag, right? They're always doing some version of drag on that show. We did an episode about um, Disney Channel original movies and shows. Wow, and and we that I think that you know the sweet life life of Zach and Cody falls into this like. It's fabulism. It's like not real life. There, no, and that's what you're saying is like to see him inhabit like a, a real character. I think is incredible. Yeah, and I think like I mean I'll never forget both of them in Big Daddy. Right, like that was like such What's Big Daddy? The Adam, Adam Sandler, Sandler movie. movie. You have to watch that tonight. Oh my god! You actually, if you Big haven't, yeah, they're the, they're the kid in Big Daddy, and like it's the first time I remember crying in a movie theater. Wow. Or like watching a movie, really? like sobbing with, at the end when. When the, the the son's almost like is like is like they're gonna take the son away from Big Daddy Adam Sandler. Um, I don't know why that really shook me to my core. Um, Adam I, Sandler loves like a, a kind of serious a, a kind of like comedy that has a little serious jab in it. Yeah, I think especially during that time, like he was so he was peak comedy, like peak mm-hmm. theater, like theatrical release, like game as an actor, and still is like such a fucking cool interesting like genre heavy movie star what's that movie where adam sandler can like control his family with a remote control yeah everyone talks about click everyone's like click was the best movie it was like so beautiful all those weird like supernatural comedies like click bruce almighty oh yeah yeah but these genre films are really like there was a period where like sub-genre genre films were like all that was being made, and I feel like we maybe are coming back into that a little bit. I, I so. would love that. You know what's like one of bottoms- my favorites? Um, Bedazzle. Uh, yeah, Bedazzled. Bedazzled? With, with, um, with Elizabeth Hurley and Brendan <gasps> Fraser. Oh my God, yeah. Where she's yeah. the devil. Oscar And he sells, he sells his soul um, yeah. and gets seven wishes. Yeah. It's incredible, and Elizabeth Hurley as the devil is or so shrink, hot. Or Shrink, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Yes. Or, like... I loved all of those. Oh, look who's talking. <laughs> look who's talking. 
You know the one where the babies yeah, talk? Yeah, where the babies talk. Where the babies I talk. loved that Jamie Lee, when she was like winning her career Oscar, she was like talking about how she's basically only done genre movies. And I think that's like such an, like a, a specific cool way to be an actor is like, like you can be like Meryl Streep or you can mm-hmm. be like Mariska Hagerty or you can be just like genre only mm-hmm. <laughs> like very like and I and I love that I feel like I'm like she's really for 40 years made such a career out of doing like iconic genre films and especially since the genre girlies are never at the Oscars they never, never are nominated. I mean Mia Goth would talk about this on mm. the podcast right now I'm sure it's like this idea that like certain types of films aren't taken seriously are you a Mia are you a Mia Goth stan I love Mia Goth are you friend are you do you no know? I don't know her I don't you seem you- like you would I thank you. I, I again, like I think I'm. I'm not that cool. Um, <laughs> we'll she see. seems so cool to me. I'm gonna catch you. I'm gonna catch you like in a in a photo with her like weeks from now. I'm I mean, sure. so like I'm a rising Leo, so I think people think of me a lot as like someone who's like friends with everybody, and like I'm definitely like well acquainted and like very friendly, and like end up in certain whether it's like through manifestation or like sheer will or like luck. I don't really know, but like especially when I was living in LA, I was just sort of mm. like always like finding myself in like these rooms with certain types of people. And now that I'm back in New York, I feel that feels very like far away, Mm. but I do have, I do have this thing where it's like, I think there was a period on Twitter before, like I had any work come out where I was just like known as like the faggot who was friends with all the A-list celebrities for no reason or something. Mm. Um, Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 for sure. Everyone yeah. was like, "Wow." No, I think that's accurate. Yeah, yeah totally. No, I, I, I know, I know what, I know what's being said. Um, <laughs> but in my head, I'm like, I'm so much more than that. You I, are. I'm working on all these things. She's an auteur, and I'm finally happy to like be like three years later. Like I'm finally like starting to like announce and release and and shoot stuff that I've been working on for so long because there was just like I'm not the type of girl who will like talk about stuff before it's more more or less baked. So but in your gestation. Not even period. to friends, really. Like to close friends, but like or like in work meetings, but I, I wasn't like going around town being like, I've sold like this many projects on this many things, like until I had like like ink had dried and like things were going. And even still I'm very, very, very uh I maybe superstitious and also just trepidatious about the way in which I, I discuss work and what I choose to talk about or not talk about. As you should be. Because I've also, especially in, in 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 Hollywood, like, so many people will be, like, they'll, like, have had, like, a callback or producer session, and, like, I'll hear them being, like, I booked this role. And I'm, like, oh, my God, you, like, literally don't have that job. Like, you're, this is so stressful. Like, I really hope you get that. And then, like, 95% of the time, like, they don't get the job. And I'm, yeah. like, it, like it, that gives me, like, the most anxiety ever. Um, So I'm just really careful. But, I, but, yeah, there was definitely a period of time, like, a little bit pre-pandemic, pandemic. Like, I, I just, I... Yeah, I have a lot of close friends who are really successful in their field and like significantly more successful than I have been in mine. Um, <laughs> Lena talked about this. Okay, and there was a piece in the cut that Brock wrote about me that was basically talked a little bit about that. And I think like she she called Lena about it, and Lena was like, I, Lena very graciously said that I'm a person that you just want to be around, which I thought that was very sweet because I'm mm. not sure that's entirely. Well, I don't always <laughs> want to be around me, but I do, I do think like I'm a pretty good friend and like a good listener, and mm. like I'm good at. Like I, I I pick up the phone when you're calling, kind of person, and like, mm. um. So, and I'm good at like keeping secrets as mm. well. So I feel like I've just, I don't know. But my hair hasn't gotten any bigger from that, which is unfortunate. <laughs> Honestly, well, when it does, you can get the Rachel. I can yeah. get the fucking Rachel cut. Would you ever get the, get Rachel? the Rachel cut? I'm currently in in the stage of trying to grow my hair out, Same. but curly girls know like yeah. it just takes so much longer. But I'm trying to, I think I'm trying to just like just just below the collarbone 
Um, I feel like the Rachel cut in my 40s, so like in 10 years, mm. feels appropriate. Okay, mm. see you then. I'm see you then, to, right? I'm, Let's yeah. do it. Um, Tommy, I, I do see you entering like uh, an era in your career that is kind of like the the Lena or the Mia Goth moment where you're like, <laughs> I'm going to do, you know, your writer, you're going to get on your writer, director, zhuzh. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and I, I honestly, I, I love that you're, I honestly, when, when I heard the film announced, I, I thought that you were going to be in it as well. And you, you're not. No. You're entering, you want to be a true girl boss well i (laughs) (laughs) no i think i want to act too like i'm gonna audition Mm -hmm. for something after this today like i'm I'm gonna go home and put myself on tape or something like i'm still looking for that but i'm very because i have like multiple streams of revenue and creative outlets like i'm 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 not I just no longer I'm gonna like do the bad acting job because I feel like mm. I have to do it right mm. now which feels good mm. but I do miss it and at some point I'll get back to it but yeah I'm, I'm definitely in my like producerial bag at the moment producerial so, maybe you'll play Rachel on the Friends reboot ah! <laughs> okay that is the trend of I want to make us I want to make a Sundance film that's about trans Rachel <laughs> about a trans girl who wakes up from a coma thinking that she's Rachel from Friends <gasps> Um, Wait, sort of like that, that Rebel Wilson movie where she wakes up. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly, exactly. I feel pretty. Subgenre, genre. So it's a version of I feel pretty, but she's a doll in like <laughs> in Memphis, Tennessee. Wait, a- would would absolutely watch. Okay, cool. Greenland, write it already. God, somebody do it. I can't. Next week, we will be back with an episode that is to be determined. But in the meantime, slide into our DMs at Like a Virgin for 2069 and let us know Do you love Spring Awakening? What's your favorite song? Um, also, make sure that you become a patron at patreon.com slash like a virgin so you get weekly bonus episodes. And uh, also buy our merch, like a virgin for 2069.com. And you can find me anywhere online at Rose Domu. And you can find me at Friend Squishgo anywhere you like. Like a Virgin is an iHeartRadio production. Our producer is Phoebe Unter with support from Lindsay Hoffman and Nikki Etor. Until next week, later, virgins. Mwah. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. I got a big heart, and I'm very forgiving, but, like, don't abuse it. It's been abused enough. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman 
chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, stories from the frontiers of marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Pitbull. I think that education is the real revolution because as much as we speak about all the problems that there is in society and the world today, my mother's always told me, son, don't worry. The world's always been coming to an end. Don't let it scare you out of living. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.